All right. Well, as we launch into our freedom study today, in this first week, this first teaching, there really is one prevailing question that we're going to be talking about today. And that is, what is going to be my approach to God? We're all going to be asking ourselves that. Because what you do in your walk with God is really important. And your journey with Him is really important. But how you do what you do is even more important. Did you know that? This freedom study is really important. It, it has the potential to change our lives. But our approach to this study is even more important. You know, many people approach God with the wrong approach. They approach God in the wrong way, which is why they don't enjoy Christianity, which is why some Christians don't even enjoy God. We've all seen Christians like that, right? That just aren't even enjoying their, their walk of Christianity, their walk of faith. It seems like a drudgery to them. And haven't we all seen people that don't want anything to do with Christians, don't want anything to do with God? Probably because they've seen Christians who walk out their walk in that way. Those are the Christians that give Christianity a bad name and cause other people not to want anything to do with Christianity or with God. It's like Christianity sometimes has a branding problem. Pastor Chris Hodges, who wrote this freedom study that we're studying this term, he shares a story, uh, something that he experienced on a flight that really illustrates this point so well. And so I'm going to share his story with you. But he shares this story of one time when he was flying home from a conference, and he had to go through New Orleans. And so he gets on his flight in New Orleans, and he likes the window seat, so he gets in his little window seat, and he's getting all settled in, and there's an empty seat next to him, and, you know, wondering who in the world's going to sit in that seat. And then all of a sudden, you can hear this girl coming. I mean, you can hear her from the jetway before she even is, like, on the plane. And you hear this girl, woo, woo, woo. He says she's just swinging her arms. She's just dancing as she gets on the plane. And she's still hollering all the way down the aisle, high-fiving everybody, woo, 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 coming down the aisle of the plane. And he is praying so hard, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, please do not let her sit in this seat next to me. Plop. Where do you think she sat? Uh Uh-huh. And so she sits down next to him, and he's like, oh. And so she's still singing and getting herself all settled in. And, you know, I don't know if Mardi Gras had been happening at that time, but she was having her own Mardi Gras. And so she's getting settled in. And he said there really wasn't much conversation at that point. And then a little bit later on, the uh, refreshment cart comes down the aisle, and she purchases her little cocktail, and then she turns to him, and she says, so, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a pastor. Well, duh, we're all passengers, she says. (laughs) 
And he says, no, <laughs> I'm a pastor, like, of a church. And she says, oh, I don't like Christians. And he immediately knew what she meant and the kind of Christians she'd been exposed to. So he replies and says, hey, I'm with you, girl. I totally agree. And she says, what? Well, don't you have to like them? And he says, well, I think I know the kind of Christians that you've been exposed to. And, you know, I didn't really like that kind either, so I started my own church. Now, he was trying to put the hook out, you know, to really draw her in, to get her into a good conversation. And he says, you know, Christianity has a branding problem. There are two approaches to God. And unfortunately, he said, I think you've been exposed to the wrong approach. You've been exposed to an approach that looks right, but really isn't. And she said, what do you mean by that? And he said, you see, it's not about a denomination. It's not about religion at all. It's not about being part of an organization. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And about that time, she flung her drink over in his face, and she said, well, what do you think your Jesus thinks about this? And he said, I don't think he really cares about that. I think he cares about you, and he wants you. And when he gets to have a relationship with you, then he might talk to you about other things. She says, I have never heard this in my life. He said, well, it's in the Bible. And he said, that's the problem. People have all these preconceived ideas of God that aren't even in the Bible. Because there are different approaches to God. He said, you may have heard about traditions or about processes that are the wrong approach to God. You see, our approach to God is so important because it doesn't just impact our relationship with him, it's impacting other people around us who are watching our relationship with him. It's all about the motivation. What's going on inside of us is critical to the process. And the approach to God is the second story in the Bible after creation. Creation's the first story in the Bible, right? But creation's also our first story, right? You were born. You were created. That's our first story. But our second story is also our approach to God. We have a choice of how we're going to approach God. Look with me at what it says in Genesis 2, starting in verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, most people 
read that and think, oh, yeah, yeah, and they skim over, yeah, yeah, I know that story, I heard about that in the, in the children's Bible I read as a kid, and I remember seeing the picture of Eve, and she, you know, she's naked, but you don't really know it because she's got the long flowing hair that covers all her parts, and there she is posing in the garden with holding the apple with the bite out of it, and we've all seen the picture, right? Did you know the Bible never says it was an apple? No, it never says it was an apple. And most people think of this scene in the Bible as, well, that's just the day that they sinned. That's the day that they had to choose, God or not God, good or bad, Christian or rebel. But that's not at all what it says. It says there are two approaches to God. You can approach God out of life, or you can do it out of the knowledge of good and evil. So the second, the knowledge of good and evil, it can be doing good things, but out of being knowledge-based, out of learned behavior versus internal transformation. Okay, now it continues on in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that word die in the original writings, it literally means die, die, a double death. That yes, we're all going to experience physical death one day, but also when we eat out of that tree, there's going to be this other kind of death, this spiritual death, this death that's going to breed death into our family, our marriages, our dreams, the different areas of our lives. Because when we're living in that tree, when we're living in a life of rules and do's and don'ts, that doesn't breathe life into the areas of our life. That doesn't breathe life into our relationships. But God wants us to live in the tree of life where there's this internal transformation that will cause his life to be breathed into every area of life and all of our relationships. You see, God puts a choice before us because he's not going to force us to experience the fullness of life that he has for us. He asks us to choose. So think about it like this. Every parent wants their children to obey, right? I mean, are you, uh, you have young children at home, young moms, do you want your children to obey? You really, you're not raising your hands, so I'm thinking we, we might need to come over and check your pulse. <laughs> you want your kids to obey, right? Okay. So, there are different ways you can do that. You can force behavior. You can force obedience, right? I mean, I know someone who was watching a toddler, and the toddler kept misbehaving and, and driving her crazy. And so, one time, she uh, tied that child up to a very heavy piece of furniture so that he did not get away while she was trying to do something. And that was her way of forcing behavior. Mm, maybe not recommended, but <laughs> you can force behavior. <laughs> but is that the real goal? 
I don't think so. I think the real goal isn't just to make them behave, but it's to have some heart transformation so they want to behave, right? That's a different approach. So now we have the first story in the Bible, and for all of us, we're born. Second story, our approach to God. And then enter the devil, okay? And now we see the third story in the Bible and of our life in Genesis 3. We're born, we have a choice how we approach God, and the devil wants to make sure we don't approach him in the way God wants us to approach him. So look with me at Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just pause right there. You know, the enemy, he will lie to you. He will get you to doubt what God said to you. Anytime we follow the enemy, we follow his ways, his thinking, do you know it's not because he forces himself on us? It's because we believe him. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. We've got to remember that. And then it continues on and says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the enemy's attempt to derail our lives isn't always to get us to do something bad. He was appealing to her desire to be godly. He was appealing to her desire to be more like God. He said, come, follow me, and you'll become more like God. And you know, even in church, even in our pursuits of God, sometimes we can follow the wrong approach. Continues on, verse Six and says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now they'd been naked this whole time, okay? One thing we need to understand is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil always produces shame. This is where shame entered the picture, when they ate of that tree. All right? So we need to recognize the enemy's schemes. And I want us to, over the next just few minutes, talk about three characteristics of each of these trees, just to help us get a little bit clearer picture of them, to understand them better, and to be able to recognize our approach to God, our approach to relationships and everything in our daily life. So if you're taking notes, you can jot these comparisons down, or if you have a book, you'll see the outline on page two, where you can uh, fill in some of the blanks and follow along with us, okay? All right. 
The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, do more to get to God. Have you all seen The Wizard of Oz? Surely everyone's seen The Wizard of Oz. I remember growing up, every Thanksgiving, The Wizard of Oz was on TV. After dinner, the kids would go in the bedroom to watch The Wizard of Oz. The parents just had this wonderfully planned out so then the adults could have their nice time (laughs) of conversation. So I watched The Wizard of Oz every Thanksgiving. And, you know, some people have this picture of God that he's kind of like Oz. Because Oz Oz could grant great things, right? And so finally, Dorothy and her friends, they get an audience before Oz. And do you remember what he looks like when they come before him? I mean, he's red-faced, green smoke pouring out of him. He's angry. What do you want? Right? And so she's like, I just want to go home. I just want to go home to Kansas. And so essentially, he says, fine, if you perform for me, I'll let you go home. If you get the broom from the Wicked Witch of the West, then you'll get to go home. Many people view God like that, as a performance-based God. And if you view God like that, if you live trying to perform for God, then you're living in that tree, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says you will surely die. It'll breathe death and destruction into the areas of our life. But in contrast, the tree of life says, received the fact that Jesus has already done it. Receive the fact Jesus has already done it. Everything that needs to be done to get to God has already been done. There is nothing more that you can do to get to God. Did you know that even oftentimes good teachings can put us in the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Good Christian teachings. I remember, and some of you who are of my age or older may remember. (laughs) It was probably about 30 years ago in the church world, there was this teaching that swept over the church world, could you not tarry one hour, a prayer teaching that so many churches were participating in, and it was so awesome. I mean, there was really a move of God for prayer sweeping across the church world. And I remember as a young adult, this was so popular, and, and I had gotten all the materials, and I was going to do this, and I was so excited, and it was an awesome teaching. But in the midst of it, it was easy to swing over from this tree of life where we're going to grow closer to God to this other tree where there was condemnation because oh my gosh, I didn't get quite my hour today. Oh, oh, I just cut it short a little bit. Oh, I must be a failure. Because see, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is, is rule-based, and it brings shame and condemnation. And we can so easily swing between these two trees. But God wants us to live in the tree of life, to stay in the tree of life. Here's how Jesus said it in John chapter 5, starting in verse 39. He's saying to the Pharisees, 
You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He's telling the Pharisees, hey, you're in the wrong tree. You know the word so well. You think the amount that you study the scriptures is going to impress God and lead you to God. The goal isn't how many chapters you can read. The goal is finding Jesus in the chapters. God's not impressed with our works. Okay? He's not a performance-based God. He's already done it all. So we have the freedom to come to him and to live in him. Let's look at the next comparison between these two trees. The tree of knowledge of good and evil says, keep trying to get God's approval. Too often Christians live trying to get God's approval. But this has the premise that God doesn't currently like you very much that you have to win him over. Too many people have that view of God and they think God is a mad and angry God. Your view of God will determine what your relationship with God looks like. If you see him as a harsh and angry God, you're gonna be very hesitant to approach him, right? But in contrast, the tree of life says, receive the fact that he already loves you. Even on your worst day. He may not always love what you do, but he always, always loves you. Parents, even on your children's worst day, you may be really frustrated with what they're doing, but you never stop loving them, do you? No, it's the same with God. Romans 5, 8, it says... God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we did everything right, when we got our act together and got all cleaned up and impressed God. No, while we were still sinners, he died for us. You see, if we don't understand that, if we don't have that approach that Jesus has done it all because he loves us so much, then our journey is going to be miserable. Our journey is going to be difficult. And he wants our journey to be enjoyable and thriving and fulfilling. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, next contrast between these two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, obey out of duty. Very often people see the Bible as lists of rules. Have you ever saw the Bible as a list of rules? You know, there's a lot of things in the word that we're told to do. We're told to serve. We're told to forgive. We're told to be kind and many others. But in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says, do it because God said so. Do it because God's demanding it. But in contrast, the tree of life says, obey out of delight. We want to. It's a joy. Have you ever heard Christians or even people in ministry say, oh, well, I've surrendered my life to God 
It's not easy, but it's a life I've chosen, or I've surrendered to the call of God. It's a hard life, but I'm going to follow him and obey that call. Ah! <laughs> it is a privilege and an honor to serve God. It is such a privilege. It's a privilege and an honor to answer the call of God on our lives. You know, the calling of God is not just a calling to ministry. God has callings on each of our lives to all different things. You may be called in an area of business. You may be called in different things. You may be called as a mother. You may be called to be a wife. The callings of God are such a great privilege. And when we walk out his callings, when we surrender to him with the approach from that tree of life, that's when we experience the most joy and the most incredible, thriving, fulfilling life imaginable. In John 5, verse 3, it says, in fact, this love for God, I'm sorry, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Pause right there. Some of you might be thinking, see, I told you, got to keep his commands. He's wanting us to do what he says. He's holding that gavel, waiting for us to mess up. No, continue on. And his commands are not burdensome. God's commands are hard if we're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in the tree of life, we receive his love, and we love him so much, and we want to keep his commands. It comes so naturally to us. In verse 12, it says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In that verse, the word has and have, they're the same Greek word, echo. And it means to take on and possess and embrace. Whoever embraces the Son, rather than living in this place of knowing good versus bad, whoever embraces the Son has life. That's where God wants us to live. So how do we do it? How do we live in this tree of life every day? Get to that point where we're not swinging back and forth between the two trees. I want us quickly to talk about four ways before we conclude today. Four ways that we can live in this tree of life. First of all, fall in love with Jesus. How do we do that? For many of us, it's easy. But I've also heard others say, I don't, know, I don't know how. I don't know how to really fall in love. I hear people talk about being in love with Jesus, but I don't know how to do that. Let me tell you, once you know who he is, once you know what he has done for you, once you understand how generous and kind and loving he is, you want to fall in love with him. I hear people say, Oh, I can't bear to think about the cross, the crucifixion. It's just too brutal. I can't go there. I can't think about it. Can I tell you something? I can't help 
but think about the cross and the crucifixion and meditate on that regularly because it keeps me so aware of his incredible love for me and it keeps my heart so in love with him that he would do that for me, that he would do that for you. He loves us. And when we understand his great love, we can't help but fall in love with him. John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commands. Did you know that this verse really can be read two ways? And I bet in this room today, we have some that have read it one way and others that read it a different way. It can be read, if you love me, prove it. If you love me, you better do what I'm demanding of you. If you love me, this is what you have to do to show it, okay? Some of you have read it like that. Or it can be read and should be read. If you love me, you will keep my commands. You'll do it automatically. It will be a natural outflow of your life. You see, the comma in this verse separates the two trees. Which side of the comma are you living in? You can fulfill all the commands of the Bible far better by falling in love with God than trying in your own strength to fulfill them all and to obey everything, okay? So first thing is simply fall in love with Jesus. Second thing, serve God through relationship, not rules, Sometimes we need to remind ourselves we're serving him out of relationship. This is the main difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the Old Testament, it's purely rules. It's an external law written on tablets that they had to go and look at to remind themselves. But in the New Testament, these laws are written on our hearts. That's what the Bible tells us. Sometimes we think, oh, there's no rules. We're under the New Covenant. No, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Through a loving relationship with Jesus, we want to fulfill the law. It will be a natural byproduct of our lives. Number three, respond to all sin with life. You see, when we blow it, and we all will blow it, don't mean to burst your bubble, but nobody's perfect, we will all blow it. And when we blow it, we need to stop and recognize what is our initial response. Is it condemnation or conviction? Let me help you see the difference. Condemnation says, you messed up and you are a failure. God is mad at you. God's never going to forgive you. You can't go forward. Condemnation makes you feel like a failure. But conviction says, yeah, you messed out. But let's go forward. Here's the way out. That's conviction where we recognize that what we did wasn't pleasing to God. Maybe what we did was wrong. But 
there's a way out, a way to keep moving forward with him. And you know, we all want to receive that love and forgiveness and find the way out when we mess up, right? So the true test of which tree we're living in is how do we respond to others when they mess up? Do we want to condemn them? Do we want to criticize them? Or do we want to extend our hand and say, hey, sweetheart, I'm here. Let me help you find the way out. We need to stop and recognize that. You know, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means there's no condemnation for us and for others. And we've got to be willing to extend that to them as well. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders brought her to Jesus, and, and they were really trying to trap Jesus in this scene because they said, okay, Jesus, what should we do? The law says that being caught in the act of adultery, she should be stoned. And they're thinking to themselves, if he agrees with that, then he's breaking the law because he's committing murder. But if he doesn't agree with it, then he's also breaking the law because he's not stoning her and the law said to stone her. So Jesus is so brilliant. He had this amazing answer and he says, okay, we'll fulfill the law. But whoever of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And then Jesus just bends down and starts writing in the dirt. Doesn't tell us what he's writing. I wonder what he was writing. Did you ever stop to think about it? I mean, I mean, could he possibly have been writing the names of their mistresses? Mm, Sally, mm, there goes one. Mm, Sheila, there goes another. Mm, Mary, mm, he's gone too. I don't know, just a thought. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. That's just free commentary, okay? <laughs> John 8, verse 9. We pick up this story. It says, at this... Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, he gave her grace and truth. Grace by saying, neither do I condemn you. Truth, by saying, now go and leave your life of sin. Go change your direction. Go in a new direction. You see, when we blow it, we can respond to God from that tree of life because he extends grace and truth to all of us. And number four, guard your heart from going back. You know, two trees exist for most of us with a vine hanging between them where we swing back and forth. But we need to learn to constantly guard our heart to keep us from swinging back into that place of knowledge of good and evil and live in that tree of life. How do we do that? It's a daily choice. It's a continual choice. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 tells us, I've set before you life and death, and here's the answer, choose 
life. And ladies, we're going to learn how to walk out this process throughout this 12-week series. This study is going to set before us life and death, the two approaches to God. And God is giving us the answer. And he's telling us today, choose life. Choose life and find freedom. Choose life and find the abundant life I created you to live. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, God, I am just so grateful for your word. So grateful for your spirit that brings revelation to our hearts. And Father, I pray that at the onset of this series and this study, God, that you would just begin speaking to us. Father, you would help us to recognize our approach to you, how we approach you. Do we approach you out of that place of life and freedom, or do we approach you out of that place of knowledge of good and evil, that place of rules and regulations? God, help us each day to recognize in our life, how we respond, where we live, so that we can learn to live in that place of life and freedom every day. I thank you, God, for your spirit at work in us. Our hearts are open wide to you, and God, we want to hear from you every day as we go forward in this series. God, just throughout the week, even speak to us, bring wisdom, bring clarity, bring revelation by your spirit so we can grow and be transformed more and more into your image in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.